Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm Pat McDowell, and I'm your host and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Now, I'm excited to bring you another fantastic conversation this week with Michael Ward. Michael is the executive director of the North Carolina Textile Foundation at the Wilson College of Textiles at North Carolina State University, which I learned is the only standalone college of textiles in the country and is playing a huge role in the production and development of PPE, something we're all learning a lot more about in this COVID-19 situation. Now, what makes this episode so valuable is uh, a couple of things that Michael and I discuss. Uh, Number one, his thoughtful and proactive approach to dealing with professional challenges and adversity. I think that's something we all can benefit from for sure. Number two, you're going to enjoy how he has dug into emotional intelligence in addition to the science behind philanthropy and fundraising. But emotional intelligence has been huge for Michael, and it's paid off, quite honestly, not only as how he works with donors, but also in his hiring practices as he has built his team at NC State. And finally, you're going to get a fascinating behind-the-scenes look at a $28 million transformational gift. And there's just some great nuggets of wisdom uh, that Michael will describe through this process that we all can apply as we interact as nonprofit leaders with our key donors and potential donors. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to the podcast or the news page at patmcdowell.com, and you will find all the resources, links, and books that Michael has recommended for us, as well as information on him and the great work he's doing at the North Carolina Textile Foundation. Speaking of resources, don't forget to just stay connected with us. Uh, Go to our webpage, patentmcdowell.com, and use our contact information or through any of our social media channels. Uh, Let us know how we can make this podcast more helpful to you, uh, given the topics or guests that you might uh, suggest. And, of course, if we can help you on your professional journey or your organization's strategic decisions right now, we'd be happy to discuss it further. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Michael Ward. Michael, thank you for joining me on the path. Thank you, Pat, and I'm excited to be with you. Well, it's exciting for me to have a conversation with someone like you who has experienced fantastic success in the nonprofit and fundraising arena. But of course, what I've really enjoyed talking to you about is you're also open about some of the challenges that you've overcome and and your approach to learning, frankly, in a professional development setting, and it's made you better. And so I know that our listeners are going to benefit from your journey. So maybe we start with that, Michael. Talk about your journey. How did you come to the nonprofit path? Yeah, that's a a great question, Pat, and everyone always has an interesting answer to this because there's not a there's not a degree program for this, but I was um, I attended Appalachian State University and uh, really thought I wanted to get into coaching, and uh, I was a basketball manager at the time, Buzz Peterson, uh, certainly a famous North Carolinian, and a former UNC basketball player was their head coach, and, um, you know, really, really uh, took to the, the team concept and, and sport and thought I wanted to get into coaching, and as I was winding down my, my education, uh, I thought, you know, I, I think I'd like 
would like to get into athletics and uh, coach coach Peterson helped me out with an internship at NC State and while I was at NC State I uh, got a chance to work with the Wolfpack Club and this was in the late 90s when they were raising money to seed uh, for the what is now the uh, PNC arena and so that was really where I was first exposed to to fundraising and just really fell in love with the engagement with the, the alumni and the boosters and that whole process and I was very fortunate when I graduated to be hired uh, with the Wolfpack Club as an intern um, under the leadership of Bobby Purcell, who is retiring this year. He spent 33 years at NC State and just has a, a, a fantastic national reputation as one of the best in athletic fundraising and, and went to work there for a year and spent the first eight years of my career in college athletics before transitioning into uh, academic fundraising. So that's, uh, that was my path and, um, it was, wouldn't change anything for it. It's such a good, uh, story to tell. And, and of course I can relate to it, uh, as my journey started as an intern, uh, in my case with Special Olympics International, I had similar athletic and coaching um, ambitions, um, but found like you did that working in other ways around athletics and then ultimately fundraising proved to be very rewarding. And so I hope our listeners will keep that in mind. For those that are new to the game, finding internship opportunities to get your foot in the door or helping someone who's considering the path, uh, such a good way to, to start. And we're going to talk more about your path, Michael. Of course, uh, some ups and some downs. But talk about right now, uh, speaking of ups and downs in this current environment, <laughs> the challenges of a work-from-home environment, uh, have you had any kind of tips or tactics that have helped you stay organized maybe before the coronavirus, but now, now that you're in it, what, what, how do you keep yourself organized? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and, and for me, um, in the, in the position that I'm in, I always look to, to try to find staff members and, and create a, a culture of shared leadership and, uh, organization honestly can be defined in so many different ways. I'd say I'm extremely effectively organized when it comes to one-on-one -on -one strategic engagement with, with donors as we go down that philanthropic journey um, in terms of processes and, and you know, office uh, organization. That's probably not one of my greatest strengths, but I look for, I look for great staff members that can compliment me on that and that are better at it than I. So, you know, as we've, as we've uh, you know, tried to pivot during this COVID um, disruption. Uh, I, I've got I've got a great team that that really kind of helps to to create these dashboards and keep us organized collectively. And and our conversations and our our tactics and and the way we approach our work is is through groupthink. And so um, that is that is how I, I find myself to be best organized is to make sure I have the right people on the team that can can help you know complement that area for me. That's such a good point. I think a lot of a lot of us, you know, kind of keep our head down and, and try to put everything on our shoulders. But you have utilized your talented team and delegated to them, which I guess creates a shared accountability, doesn't it? That you you don't have to worry so much about something falling through the cracks because likely one of your colleagues is going to help pick it up. Absolutely. Yep. For sure. Um, you know, we have a dashboard. We have tasks that we need to complete. We have. Um, are we, you know, where are we with that task? And, and we have deadlines on when we want to complete them. And, you know, I, I think micromanagement is, is dead in the water. And I, I basically check in with my team once, uh, twice a week. And 
we typically review that dashboard and um, you know just kind of check in to see where everyone's at with their their work and then I want to make sure that you know also I think that's really important during this time is I'm, I'm, I'm almost more concerned about their health and well-being because this is know really uh, been challenging for so many people and we often think we live in our own bubbles but there's a lot of people out there right now that are, are suffering and, and going through similar situations and just want to make sure that everyone can step away and take care of themselves and and um, you know they know that I'm here anytime that they need me and we're there for each other such a good characteristic of a, a leader and a good leader that you are Michael because I've I've heard that in conversations of late and you and I have talked about it, that uh, for all the tactical to-do list items, if we don't keep up with our kind of self-care in those around us, nothing else really matters. And so I appreciate you lifting that up and, and frankly, uh, lifting others up because I think your journey has reflected, as the title of this episode implies, you've had some some challenges, some adversity, but you've managed to to kind of work through those times. And I wonder if you might share uh, kind of the example, whether specific or generally, how you have dealt with adversity and frankly come out even stronger. Yeah, and I, I love talking about it. And I think that one thing we don't do enough of is talk about our failures um, as leaders and uh, everyone fails. Um, and you're gonna, you're gonna fall, you're gonna fail a couple times, uh, whether that's personally or professionally. And life and life isn't perfect. So, you know, I had a great run at East Carolina University. One of my mentors, who's the Associate Vice Chancellor for University Advancement, Greg Abiunas, uh, I give him great credit for, for shaping me in terms of who I am, providing me continued opportunities for promotions and growth. But I, I hit a ceiling, and uh, I, I was ambitious, and I knew that I wanted to continue to grow, and it's really thinking about what does that next step for me look like, and for me, I wanted to uh, get into the managerial space, which is another word I, I don't particularly care for. I, I, <laughs> right. I like to think of it more as leadership. And um, I think this goes back to my background and team sport. Um, and, and I will say, you know, along those lines, if, if I may real quickly, one of the things that has surprised me most in my 20 years um, in this profession, having been involved in, in teams and sport, is that I don't think, I, I, I'm surprised at how, how lack thereof is of, um, you know, team, team uh, psychology, frankly, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, in, in corporate America or in, in our nonprofit space. But I, I left and, and I seek the leadership opportunity at a, a very fine institution. My family and I love the area. We love the, the university and the culture was just a real a challenge for me. Um, I, I think that it was more transactional than, than I had been accustomed to and um, just adapting to a different culture, um, adapt, you know, moving a family, a lot of, you know, personally not, you know, not being able to sell our real estate where we were from, just a lot of things that, that brought great distraction um, for me. And I, I, I was there for about 15 months and I, I don't want to be a liability anywhere that I'm at. I want to be an asset. And, and when I just felt like my, my values were, not aligned with, you know, the, the values of, of the institution. Um, you know, we mutually decided that I probably needed to, to look for a better fit. And um, it was it was tough. It was a tough time in my life. Again, I had young kids. They've been moved a, a couple times there really quickly. And I think for me, uh, I, I just needed to, to be positive and to 
you know, make sure that I put myself in a situation that um, I could continue to enjoy the work that I did and, you know, started uh, activating my network, which I think has been extremely important um, for me and something that Bobby Purcell talked to me about when I was an intern. And at the time, I, I had no idea how valuable networks were and didn't think I'd be good at, you know, creating a network. But it's where I, I reached back out to you, Patton, as, as one of those and just kind of talked through the challenges that I was facing. And, you know, how do you go from an institution where you've been there for 10 years and had, you know, tremendous success to, uh, you know, to another location and, and, and ultimately failed. And, you know, when you face adversity, the, the great KL always said, you know, when life kicks you, make sure it kicks you forward. And I wanted to, uh, you know, make sure that that was the case for me. And so I started looking for opportunities and I took a step back professionally to make sure, um, you know, for me, it was about finding that confidence again, finding my voice, making sure, um, you know, I, I was still had the, the confidence that I could do the, you know, the, the development work that I had found so successful at East Carolina University and came to NC State as the director of development for the, the Wilson College of Textiles and uh, so glad that I did that that adversity, um, that failure, that valley certainly taught me more about myself. It kept me humbled and uh, you know, Pat and I, I still throw that, that those school colors on from time to time as a reminder of keeping me, me humbled and right. Uh, I learned more about myself, you know, through those failures than I did in, you know, 15 years of, of success. And I'm really thankful that I went through that experience. Well, and it's so good for you to lift that up because it's easy, I think, for many of us to uh, run into a challenge like that and just kind of put our heads down. And so instead, you looked at it simply as an opportunity to pivot. Um, love how you activated your network, which, as Bobby Purcell so correctly told you early on, you, you maintained your network, which I guess is a point of advice I would reinforce that you did a good job of staying in touch with folks. So when it came time to seek their feedback, uh, people were responsive. And that to me is, is such a, a good sign that you had done that beforehand. I wonder, Michael, at, at the Wilson College and NC State in general, how did you know it was a good fit? What were the characteristics that maybe early on helped you confirm that, yeah, this is where I need to be? Well, honestly, Patton, NC State has been an institution I always wanted to land at. I'm, I'm from Raleigh. My grandfather is a graduate of NC State. And, you know, going into that situation, I naturally felt more um, connected to it in terms of a, a passion meter and yep. uh, my excitement for it. And um, it was a step back and it was taking me back into a position where I had had success and, you know, I wasn't going to have the pressure of uh, leading a team or managing a team. And uh, I went and worked for a foundation that um, really had been understaffed, you know, through many years. And there was, you know, an abundance of opportunity to kind of reshape that culture. And um, I, I found that I've had more success when I've been able to blaze my own trail. And, uh, you know, the situation hasn't always or the opportunity hasn't always been a well-oiled machine per se. So this was, uh, you know, this foundation was, there was so much potential and being, you know, essentially the only frontline fundraiser on the team and, and, and having a good, you know, understanding the, the simplicity and the basics of, of truly fundraising 101, I knew that just by integrating and incorporating um, 
you know, best practices and starting small and going out and engaging and building meaningful relationships, we would find opportunity, you know, to grow that foundation at a time when the university was launched in a campaign. It's such an interesting point you make, Michael, and I found a similar part of my journey. Um, you arrived and not that things were bad, but there was almost no nowhere to go but up. It sounds like you, so the, the characteristic of potential, I mean, in other words, you could have landed at any number of institutions that are already doing really well. And I guess you could have kind of plugged in, but it sounds like you, you liked the appeal of, of potential and the opportunity to really make it better. I did. And, you know, I'm, I'm a North Carolina guy and I remember reading everything in fourth grade on, you know, we were a, a tobacco and textile state and, I appreciate the, the, the culture and the history of our state and, and knowing that I was going into a, a truly a vulnerable college and a vulnerable industry um, and, and just knowing the kind of person that I am to where, you know, how can I help make a difference for something that's important to me um, really, really helped drive that passion, you know, and, and that excitement for me um, to, to know that I could help to make a difference in a small way. Well, it was more than a small way, and we'll talk about some of your success, which is remarkable. But one thing I've noted about you is that while certainly you appreciate data um, and the science of philanthropy and all that, you've been a huge proponent of emotional intelligence. And I just think you have kind of the intuition, it seems to me, with donor relations. And, and you've applied that as you hire your team. But I wonder if you might talk about why is emotional intelligence so important to you and how does that translate to how you've built your team? Yeah, thank you. I, I do think um, emotional intelligence is, is really, really important for, for fundraisers. Um, and I, and to be honest with you, Patton, um, I, I didn't really know a lot about emotional intelligence, but I, you know, individuals and, and consultants and coaches would, would bring awareness to me that I had, you know, a high level of it. And so I, I wanted to learn more about it. And I think, I think for me, when I learned about emotional intelligence, um, yeah, I did the uh, strength based leadership um, test with that Don Clifton did on the uh, strength finders. And my number one strength is empathy. And that's, um, you know, empathy and self-awareness are two things that are, I think, <clears throat> are the core of who I am, which are two, um, two things that really speak to emotional intelligence. And so I think, you know, data is definitely important. The science of fundraising <clears throat> is needed, but I think where we fall short as an, as a profession is unless you're able to connect with the, with the data points and, and the, the ratings of, of, of individuals that they think would be meaningful prospects, unless you're able to like have an, an emotional connection, be authentic, be genuine and connect with people, science isn't going to help you move the needle. It's really exactly. going to come down to the relationship and the authenticity and, and aligning uh, individuals, charitable interests with the priorities of the mission that you serve. And, you know, you mentioned how I look for that in my staff. Um, you know, we recently hired two new frontline fundraisers and, and an associate director a few years ago that I was involved in hiring and resumes are going to look similar. Um, transferable skills are going to look similar. What I'm interested in uh, in that process is how well do you connect with, with the candidates on the phone and how well do you connect with, with them when they come and visit you on campus? Do you see yourself talking with them as a donor um, if, if, if you could create that uh, yep. space in your yep. mind? 
and, and and that's really for me it's about how how authentic and how comfortable is are these candidates in their conversations with with you i'm not interested in i raised 10 million dollars at this institution and we generated the i want to i want to know the person's heart and i want to know how they communicate on a genuine authentic level with with our committee and, and ourselves because i think that's going to translate into a great outbound development professional when they're out meeting with alumni and prospects that's so good and and so helpful i think for for those that are, are candidates for the nonprofit profession particularly fundraising to to, to think about how they would articulate that emotional intelligence and their ability to interact. Cause I agree with you, Michael, people that are looking to hire, um, you can throw a lot of stats at them as far as your history, but they need to know that you can be comfortably put in front of their key donors. You know, that's what you're looking for. And clearly you have used that as a, a method to identify talent. Yeah. And, and you know, we can, we can get people comfortable with the, you know, learning fundraising, you know, there's, there's op- opportunities for workshops and conferences and Pat, and you've done great work with our board. Um, you know, we can teach that we can get you comfortable in that space. I mean, people right. ask me all the time, what's your textiles background? What was your engineering background? What was your business school background? Well, I, I'm, I'm not any of that in terms of my <laughs> education, but right. I understand development and I can learn about the college and I can, I can learn about the priorities that are, that are needed with philanthropy. And so uh, I think if you can find that person that has great self-awareness and that, that authentic um, spirit, you know, that's, that's what I'm looking for because the rest can be taught. Well, your modest nature about your skills and experiences, I, I think are impressive, but what's fun to, to learn from you is that you have had the experience of a truly transformational gift. And so it's one thing to talk about theory of relationship building and all that. But with the Wilson family, you developed a unique relationship, a special relationship, and literally achieved a transformational gift, unlike many in NC State's history. So talk about it, uh, what the, the Wilson gift meant and how you developed it, because I think there's some really fascinating lessons to be learned. It was a, it's an amazing, it's an amazing journey with this family. And, um, you know, to be honest, you know, to be, to be honest with you, Pat, and this, this relationship really, uh, really started in the central advancement with, uh, two great talented fundraisers. One, um, uh, Alan Taylor, who's now the assistant vice chancellor for principal gifts and the other Joey Wilkerson, who is, uh, now works in the office of corporate and foundation relations. Um, the, the patriarch, Mr. Wilson, had, had certainly been on the radar for a number of years, and there had been certainly a number of uh, professionals on, on, on the team to, to outreach to him with, with no luck. What was interesting about the, the beginning of this relationship is that um, Reed, his grandson, uh, Reed Wilson, uh, was a 2016 grad of, of Wilson College of Textiles in, in the uh, polymer and color chemistry department. And so we did the, you know, the, the usual annual appeal and our dean decided, we decided that we would let our dean, David Hinks, be the, uh, the author of the letter and, and who the appeal was coming from and uh, got a check back from, from Reed who had graduated. So this appeal letter went out in November of 2016 and Reed graduated in May of 2016 and uh, got, a, got a check back from Reed and, you know, it was a, a, a very, you know, 
I'm a high school for a guy that had been out of school for four months. <laughs> right, and, right. And, and there was obviously a connection there um, from him um, to the college. So uh, Alan and Joey decided to drive and visit with them and learn more about, you know, why he was inspired to give and, and thank him. And so uh, they asked, you know, Reed, what, what inspired you to, to make a check? You've been out of, you know, send a gift in. You've been out of school for, you know, four months. This is really unique and, and special. And he said, because the dean asked me to. And the real, the real genesis of this relationship was uh, when Reed was a student in the college, the dean was his advisor. And, you know, the, 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 the opportunities to develop long-term relationships with, with alumni really start with their, their level of um, connectivity and, and, and the relationships that they have with their faculty. Right. And so, you know, Reed was really, uh, really like David and uh, appreciated what he did with him as a student. And so um, at that point, and again, I, I feel very blessed to work with a, a, a great university advancement team led by um, Brian Sisko, our vice chancellor, who's done a, a real phenomenal job during this campaign. But, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was directed towards the college and uh, it, it seemed natural that, that they transitioned that relationship into the college. And so I got, a chance to meet Reed and, and Reed joined us on our Dean's Young Alumni Leadership Council, which is made up of uh, approximately 30 young alumni. And wow, let me tell you, um, unbelievable the, the value that that's brought to our college with, with our young alumni base and, and, and growing our, our donor base and things of that nature. But, but Reed wanted to, to be part of that. And I'll never forget, I remember telling Reed, you know, we'd, we'd really love to see your family get more involved with the college. and. Reed said, I'd, I'd love to see my family more involved. And so Reed's uh, aunt uh, graduated from the same program. Uh, Reed's father graduated from the same program. Wow. And his grandfather graduated. So we had four alums from the textile chemistry, now referred to as the polymer, you know, the polymer and color chemistry department. These were all graduates of the school. And um, we just kind of, you know, let Reed feel comfortable about how he introduced and, and explored, you know, the, the interest from his aunt and uh, they came to a Carolina and NC state basketball game. And uh, I, my Dean likes to joke about this all the time. And I, I alluded to it earlier, but I felt like on this first one or two years on the job, I was on the apology tour because we have not been in front of, you know, our, our alumni and, and our, you know, the real leaders in the textile right. industry. And, I, I told I told Chris that you know I, I apologize we haven't we haven't been engaged with your family we need you to be engaged with our college, and she was really uh, excited to to be asked to be involved and you know I think the other thing that makes this a really good story and and has had made me successful with others is I think in this in this business you really have to pay attention to the small details and um, what do you mean like yeah. Is there an example of that? There is. I think you just need to listen. You know, yeah. we were, uh, when we were at that game, Cress was talking about how much she loved Gary Mock, who was her advisor. And she was telling stories about Gary and just loved Gary. Well, Gary was, you know, he's retired, but he's still around. And uh, he actually wrote a book called The First 100 Years uh, Century in Progress. And it, it captures the history of the College of Textiles. And so when she came to campus, I reached out to Gary and I said, Gary, do you remember Cress Wilson? 
And he said, oh, yeah, I, I, I think I do remember, Chris. She was just <laughs> as smart as a whip. And um, I said, well, she loves you. And I would love – and she's coming to campus. She's going to come have a tour. And I'd love for you to come up to our offices and surprise her at the end of the tour and give her an autographed copy of that book you wrote. And That's great. You know, Patton, the, the labs were great. The lunch was great. But when she saw Gary Mock, she got emotional and uh it it was it was unbelievable it was that personal connection back to to that time stamp for her that's and, and michael that it was well, sorry to interrupt you but that's brilliant and i think so often we as fundraisers you know try to strategize the you know the philanthropic angle or strategy or whatever and and you were very adept at kind of going back to the academic side or the program side i guess for those of our friends that aren't in higher education but you went back to the connection for, yeah. uh, for Cress and, and it clearly paid off. Yeah. And it was, it was special for all of us, you know, I mean, uh, and it, I think, I think we can't take for granted as, as, as development professionals that we're, 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 we're in a, we're in really be, becoming into the personal space of our donors. And um, it, it was amazing. And so, you know, carrying on, she, she said that she would love to have a conversation with her dad and see if, if, if he would have an interest in coming and seeing the campus. And he did. And, you know, he, uh, he got a chance to meet the chancellor and spend some time with the dean and, and have a tour. And, um, you know, again, I went into the, the library archives and, you know, reached out to a, a librarian specialist who was able to pull a nice pile of documents for me on, on the, the time in which Fred was in school and we found old pictures of Fred and, and um, he was uh, in the fraternity and, you know, really put a nice packet of information together for him that he, he thumbed through. And, you know, again, that was a personal touch that, that I think meant a lot. Nice. And, nice. Uh, showing him the campus, taking him by his fraternity house, asking him what his favorite memory was um, at NC State and, I, I can't share that one with you, Pat, and I don't think it'd be appropriate, but it was a great <laughs> one. But they, uh, you know, they, it, it was, it was a team effort at NC State from communications team, from central advancement, the, the collaboration, the culture, um, special events. Uh, my boss, Gary bought at the time, um, you know, the leadership believing that I was the, the right manager for the family and, and trusting my instinct. Uh, there was no ego. There was no uh, micromanagement of the process. And we just went through the process and, and we presented them with an opportunity that, that we thought aligned with their values and their um, affinity with the university. And it, it translated into a, a perpetual naming of, of the Wilson College of Textiles. And, and, and even today, the things that we're being able to do now with scaling up mass production during this COVID outbreak, that's, that's, really because we had the, the philanthropic dollars to, to get the machinery that we need. Right. Uh, right. That nature. So there's, there's real impact that we've been able to share with the family and it's, uh, it, it's been an unbelievable experience. It really has. And, um, I, I was just very fortunate to have a front row seat, but this, there was so many people that were involved in that process. And, and truly you got to take ego out of it when you're talking with donors that have, significant gift capacity you're going to need you're going to need leadership you're going to need other people involved in that process and um, i think the more thought leaders that you have and the more ideas that you can brainstorm 
the better shot you have at, at really um, creating that level of impact for the institution that you're serving. Well, it's a fantastic story. And for listeners that aren't familiar, uh, we'll certainly link to the Wilson College, but you know what amounted to a $40 million plus investment by that family. Incredibly generous. Um, Michael, I love the t- way that sounds, Patton, but it, it was 28. <laughs> I, I just want to make sure. That- <laughs> as much as, so I, I guess I'm amplifying the numbers even more, but uh, uh, they have been very generous and continue to be generous. And uh, it's something that I think your, your team sport analogies back to your days with Buzz Peterson uh, paid off, uh, I think even more uh, now. Um, how long would you say this process from the initial kind of contact from a young alum to the naming opportunity? What, what was the time period we're talking, Michael? Wow, Patton. Um, I mean, I two think, years? I think, I think this all shaked out in less than, if not about a year. Yeah, that's what I thought. I mean, it, um, and again, I don't think there's any magic number. We talk in fundraising about, you know, how long does it take to cultivate a major gift? Um, but there are a lot of timing issues that you never know. But the point is you all were attentive and within 12 months created a transformational gift opportunity. Yeah, and, you know, this family was, you know, they were direct and um, they weren't, they weren't uh, the kind of, of donors that needed a lot of attention or wanted a lot of attention. They wanted to know why we had a need and, um, you know, they, they, they had the, they had the resources to deliver that uh, transformational gift. And, um, you know, oftentimes the speed to ask is really dictated by the family or the donor that you're working with. And in this case, there wasn't any real reason to, to move it forward. Uh, they, they approved a, a proposed, they approved the, the review of the proposal and a gift conversation. And um, as a matter of fact, Patton, we asked them on a Thursday afternoon there in uh, the High Point community, it was myself and, Brian Sisko and Chancellor Woodson and, and our Dean David Hinks. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to have to stew on this one and think on it. And uh, the following Tuesday, I was driving up to Washington, D.C., and I got a call from Cress, and she said, uh, my father would like to get the Chancellor on the phone. So it took him four days to, to make wow. a decision, and it was, it was incredible. Um, yeah, just unbelievable. Well, so many lessons there, but I – it sounds like has that continued influence, I guess, your approach to other um, potential, not just major donors, but any donor. It, it seems to me it reinforced some of the characteristics, Michael, that you outlined earlier, the, the emotional intelligence and, and the attention to detail, among others. Yeah, I think that, you know, the follow up, the, the small details, be a great listener. Listen for those things that, um, you know, when they personalize their story. You know, how can you connect that? How can you connect your donors back to that personalization? I think, um, you know, just being a great listener. And again, you know, the, the data had been there, right, for a very long time. And I think the other thing that I learned from this or, you know, always keep in mind is who are the right connectors? Who would have thought the 2016 grad, the grandson, freshly minted out of NC State, early 20s, would be able to connect us up you know, to his grandfather and, and he was, he was willing to, and he was the one that was most closely engaged, freshest out of NC state. And, um, he's still involved with us now. 
Chris is involved on a, a variety of uh, committees and um, initiatives at the university. Myself and the dean and our athletic director flew down and saw Fred not too long ago. They're big, they're big fans of NC State athletics, and uh, it's it's just been a, a great uh, relationship, not just for Wilson College but for NC State University. Yeah, it's such a good illustration, and I appreciate you sharing for our listeners uh, the case study, if you will, that has lots of uh, kind of ideas for us to mine uh, as you have moved on, and as you said. The Wilson gift has helped propel your organization into what is now a very uncertain time. But how has it affected the Wilson College and your work there leading their philanthropic efforts in in terms of planning? um, How do you balance this kind of short-term challenge with longer-term issues that you want the foundation to continue to focus? It's been a game changer, Patton. It's um, it's gonna it's gonna continue to be a game changer. The the again the what makes this gift even that much more special was this was a, a $28 million endowed unrestricted gift for the priorities of the college. So uh, the Dean, David Hinks and future deans are going to have uh, a deanship on steroids per se. Um, David's going to have the ability to do the things that are needed for this industry in the future. Um, if, if one thing I can, I'll share, and this is my personal opinion, from, from what we're dealing with now through COVID is there, there has to be um, renewed, renewed emphasis on sourcing uh, and manufacturing uh, more in the, in, the, in the domestic United States. And, right. Uh, the innovation that these dollars will bring to be able to create um, smart fabric labs, the, uh, the, the, the automation that a gift like this can bring to, to modernize labs, to, to get on the cutting edge, and, and, you know, the other thing that this, this industry is really struggling with is, is the labor. Um, obviously not now because much of it has come to a, a standstill as, as we get through this, but textile industry is uh, resilient and they've been through this and they've suffered and they know how to pivot and they know how to, to, to um, you know, charge ahead. But there's really about a 20 year gap between the retirees and, and the next level because of the, impact um textiles went through in the 90s and so you know this is going to enable us to recruit students to the college um that are going to be go back out into those textile communities and and you know be the the future leaders of textiles and uh in terms of our endowment the the textile foundation's endowment it's it's correcting the you know the, the the balance sheet per se, we're able to um, hire more staff to advance our mission even further. You know, and I, I mentioned to you early on when I came to the, to the college that we're a team of two. We're a team of six now. We're, we, we're managing, instead of 50 prospects, we have 300 prospects we're engaged with. Our board, our board is uh, extremely uh, charged up by this and it's it's it, we are the only textile school in the country a lot of people don't know that and i, I want to make sure I, I catch that yeah, uh, yeah many of these schools were absorbed uh, for cost you know measures because the industry was <clears throat> losing a lot of uh losing a lot to, to international and you know in the, in the 90s but we we remain the one 
college textiles, Wilson College textiles nationally, and, it's, it, and it creates a very unique opportunity for donors to support us, alumni, but also industry. I mean, we're the gateway to textile education. These students are their future leaders, and um, that, that gift has really elevated our, our reputation. Uh, it's it's such a fantastic story, and I'm grateful, as I know our listeners are, that you're willing to share it, as well as just your journey, Michael. Um, again, uh, with a modest approach and, and an ability to learn from uh, challenging times, you have certainly turned it into a very successful and uh, leadership uh, opportunity that others can learn from. Uh, is there other things you would share with people? I know you run in people all the time, perhaps students there at NC State or others that are thinking about the nonprofit profession like you and I did early on. What advice do you offer someone like that? Well, for me, I think anyone who's thinking about getting into the nonprofit space, I think the, the first question you have to ask yourself is, are, are you passionate about that organization? You see yourself as a donor. Are you a current donor? Yeah. For me, yeah. For me, uh, I, I would be a terrible insurance salesman. Um, I would be a ter- terrible development professional in, in certain nonprofit organizations because I, I wouldn't be inspired. For me, I think education is, is the gateway um, to success and to, a, to an opportunity you know, to, be, to live a, a fruitful and, and, and healthy life. And so I, I can get behind education. I've seen it. I've seen it, how it's changed lives. I believe in it. So if you're thinking about getting into the nonprofit space, um, I, th- I think number one, you know, make sure that you have a passion for the area of work you're trying to get into. Cause um, you know, Patton, you've worked with a number of boards and a number of organizations and if you don't have the engine for it and you're not, you don't believe, you, you don't believe in the cause, you, you're just not gonna, you're not gonna find the success that, that they need, that the, the organization needs. Right. Um, and so the other the other resources I would say or encourage people to is is to to make sure you spend time and thought. Um, that was great advice that was given to me um, from our president of our, our board, actually um, Rick Elmore, who I think is a, a mentor and a great person. But you know, even if you have to create that on your calendar, um, we've been able to, to put a lot more thought into to our work over these past six, seven weeks, and it, it's going to be, it's going to create amazing outcomes. And I think, I think, you know, we get so caught up in the reactionary work and, you know, what we got to do right at this minute that we don't have time to really think strategically and put our priorities and, and, you know, align our priorities. And I think creating some time to think and really map out where you want to go personally and professionally is extremely important too. Yeah. It's great advice, and, and it's easy to get buried in um, the, the volume of activity around us, and it, I think, leads to um, quantitative measures instead of qualitative. And, again, the Wilson gift and your approach to philanthropy, to me, seems uh, perfectly aligned with the quality, you know, taking your time, giving your time to, th- uh, to think about it and do it even better. Uh, Michael, you've been fantastic, uh, exactly as I knew you would be in terms of your journey and the lessons we can learn and certainly specific examples. Are there particular resources or books that you have found helpful, um, perhaps recommending to others or just things that still stick with you now? 
Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I'm a big fan of the the, the uh, strengths-based leadership. I think understanding what your your strengths are and and your team's strengths is a great way to kind of figure out how to to complement you know your organization. So, right. Um, that's right. a big one. Um, I'm a, I'm a big fan of uh, Without Hesitation uh, by General Hugh Shelton. Many people don't know Hugh, you know remember Hugh Shelton, but he was one of 14 former uh, joint uh, chief of staff, chairman, chief of staff, and uh, he's he's one of two that have come out of um, that have not come from an academy. He's a he's a textiles alum. Oh so wow! He's, wow! He, te- he teaches a lot. There's the Shelton Leadership Center at NC State, and um, he's real big on uh, values based leadership. And uh, I, I really enjoyed reading through that. Um, our team, Patton, actually is is reading a book together called White Fragility. And I think uh, another thing that I, I want to learn to, to be able to, to do more of, as well as our team, is how can how can we as the majority, um, as the privileged, be more intentional about bringing change to diversity and inclusion? And you know, what can I do to, to better understand um, perspectives of different people and their backgrounds? And, and how can I be more of a voice for that? So that's been a great team read. We're working to, we're working on that as a team and. Others are participating in the college. Um, and then I, I'm not, you know, I'm truly not a, uh, I, I don't read a lot of, a lot of books. I, I'm more of a documentary guy and, and blogs and uh, <laughs> sure, I, like sure. to hear, I like to hear post-game interviews from, you know, coaches and leadership. But I will tell you, um, I've been absolutely captivated by the Last Dance documentary. Have you been following this, <laughs> yes. Yes, uh, hard hard to miss it, and indeed, it is fascinating. I mean, when you think about it, and I was in college during these you know these years with the Bulls, but when you think about team, wow, what a diverse team! They're all different in their personalities and their characteristics, and um, but but as a unit, they're just the chemistry is just unbelievable. I mean, how many coaches would let your let a player take a vacation midway through the season to recharge. It's <laughs> unbelievable. But you, there's so much that I think can be learned from that snapshot in time with that team, with that coach, with those personalities. I really enjoyed watching and learning more about, you know, learning, having a, you know, a closer look at what makes that such a unique team. And I think today's still um, the most unique team in any professional sports in my, in my lifetime. Absolutely. Uh, I love that. And um, among all the resources you've referenced, Michael, we will note that in our show notes associated with this episode and um, where, Michael, can people find out more about you and the good work you're doing at NC State? Well, I mean, I certainly would encourage anyone to, to check out Wilson College of Textiles and NC State University. Um, Pat, and I'll be happy to share my LinkedIn um, link with you. For, uh, for your website, and uh, I just encourage any anyone that's listening, um, if I can help you, you know, if I can offer a tip or advice, or if you have any follow-ups, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, we're all in this together. We're all we're all doing this because we want, you know, a better um, a better future for 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 humanity. And so there's no secrets. Um, but I'm. Really appreciate what you've done, Pat, and you've been a fantastic um, facilitator for our board and, and really 
I've done so many good things to, to continue to advance our mission. And it's been an honor to be with you today. Michael, uh, the feelings mutual. Thank you so much for joining me on the path. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Michael as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your fundraising, your professional journey, and maybe give you some things to think about as you contemplate your organization's strategy. Don't forget the show notes are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about things that Michael discussed, as well as contact information uh, and resources that we discussed even more. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, consider subscribing by going to the podcast page at patmcdowell.com and you'll see links to all of the primary platforms. Don't miss any of these weekly episodes. Each Thursday they are released, as well as bonus features that we are lining up every month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.